When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The award-winning crunch time. Four to Rosie to go. He did enough to dispossess them. Look at them swarming again. Josh Dacos says, I will make you pay. They are making this brand of high-tempo football look so easy at the moment. Collingwood, Pendlebury with brilliance, gives it to Nick Dacos, breaks the tackle. Oh, you've got to be joking. Oh, they're a magnificent footy team to watch these pies. He marks it centre-half forward right on the arc. He's going to try and give it his best here from 50. He thumps it homeward. And another one on the board. An immediate reply from the Pies. Dead. McStay hits the pack ball, gets loose at the back. Elliott's a chance. He paddled it out to Hill. Rode the contact. Back to oh, Elliott. Yeah. Back to Hill. No one's having more fun than Collingwood this year. Uh, I thought that pressure in the first half was outstanding. Um, you know, you sort of come into a game hoping that the players would bring that sort of intensity and um, that was fantastic. But it, we, had a, we had a number of like uh, plus 57, I think it was contested possession. We just haven't had that. Like that hasn't been our story for the last 12 months. We've been working towards getting that part of our game better. So. Flies Pies dazzle at the MCG as Ken Hinckley declares Collingwood the early benchmark of the season. Josh and Nick Dacos, protagonists in the 71-point win over Port Adelaide. Dan McStay to join us this hour. Now comes the Bolton outside of the boot. Full stop on the game. Shea Bolton. 51 points. Long kick inside. Full 50 in front. In front. Cochin stayed down. He went around the corner. That's just the bounce. That's a bounce through. It has. Back-to-back goals for the Tigers. Front and square, unselfishly fed it back to Wood. Left foot snap from 30 directly in front, just had enough. Seconds left, the dogs are left half forward. And in the first two weeks of 2023, the Saints, with about a third of their list injured, have gone 2-0 and knocked off two top eight teams from 2022. The Tigers survive a scare at Adelaide Oval with the Crows kicking themselves out of the game for the second week running while the Western Bulldogs manage just five goals against an undermanned St Kilda, who are two and zip under Ross the Boss. He hasn't got time. Ryan, he's just got a kick. They need a mark. The game is on the line. Up they go at the back of the pack. North Melbourne are going to win it. North Melbourne are going to win it. Siren sounds. They've hung on by a point. And Alistair Clarkson celebrates like he's won a flag. It's over. It is over. And North Melbourne has survived in a thriller on a Saturday night. And perhaps there is a right. That should have been paid as deliberate. But the umpire hasn't paid it. And they, I don't think there's a mechanism that allows them to do that. Hang on. They're conferring here, the umpires. Maybe it's not done. But I just don't think there is a mechanism. You can't go to the review in regards to... That sort of play, it's called full-time. 
in the West, North Melbourne holds on to a one-point victory over Fremantle. But should there have been a free kick after the siren, the AFL has weighed in and we will too. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Crunch Time. Who'd have thunk it? The Kangaroos and the Saints are two and zip. The Dogs and Dockers licking their wounds. They are winless two rounds into the season. Tom Morris, there is so much to unpack. Good morning. Morning, Sarah. Morning, Scotty. Unbelievable night of footy last night. Who'd have thought the Saints (laughs) and the Dogs would go the way it did? And then... The drama at the end Ooh. of Freo versus North Melbourne. We'll unpack that in a few moments' time with the AFL's verdict on what happened at the end. Scotty, some really unusual results so far. Absolutely. In some ways, the game corrected itself over the weekend. I think uh, we saw Carlton because we think they're better than what they had been. We saw Brisbane on Friday night. Uh, but then also we've got the surprises, haven't we? And we look at the game, so many games. If you looked at the quarter-time score... That was roughly the end result. So fast starts, clubs got pegged back, but in the end, that team that had started the game well and came ready to play, which is a, a, an odd term at times because everyone is ready to play, were the team that got the result. So they did their work early. You spend your petrol tickets getting back in the game and just fall short. North Melbourne were one of the sides that started really well and really they were leading the entire match drama at the end, though, Tom, the AFL has weighed into this this morning when it comes to should there have been a free kick or not after that final siren. Can you unpack it all? And was it the right call? Let's have a listen to the audio first. This yeah, is okay. the raw audio that the AFL has released this morning of the last few seconds of the game last night. We'll get to the raw audio in a few moments' time. <laughs> but before we do, Scotty, it's really important to understand here that the umpire believes he heard the siren before the ball crossed the line. So what happens after that is irrelevant. Is irrelevant. So that's the adjudication from the AFL, and the AFL's ticked that off. They've said that's that's the correct call. But it's also important to note that even if the umpire heard the siren after the ball crossed the line, as long as the siren's gone before the boundary umpire has signalled that it's out, that it's still the correct decision. Right. And this is it's an important distinction because... You can be paid a free kick in the back, uh, too high, holding the man around the ground. The siren goes, and you can still take that kick after the siren. But when the ball goes out, it's a different rule. It's a different law. You have to, the, in order for the field umpire to pay uh, deliberate out of bounds or insufficient intent, first the boundary umpire has to make the call. And the boundary umpire, in my eyes, when I watched this back a few times this morning and last night, ha- had yet to put his arm in the air when the siren went. So the, um, the, the AFL, they might have got to it in a slightly unconventional way, but I do believe it's the right decision. Isn't it funny? I was watching that game and I was up off the couch in dismay at Freo. So we're talking about <laughs> yeah. the boundary line incident. That was the stu- most stupid one minute of football I've seen a team play. <laughs> Michael Walters marks the ball 52 metres out. There's a minute to go. They're one point down. They have to score. That's all they have to do, don't they? He hits up a target 35 metres out. You had to shoot for the goal square and rush the behind. I can't believe the runner didn't come out and say, you have to go for the goal. Then they get a free kick over the other side with 20 seconds left. The guy's about 
50, say it's 15 seconds left, the ball's yep. 55 metres out. What does he do? He chipped it inside to Luke Ryan and wasted another 10 seconds. He needed to... I, I can't understand why he didn't kick it to the top of the square. Your ruckman down there hit the ball through and then... North Melbourne, there might be 11, 12, 15 seconds left. North will try and go down the corridor, you would imagine. You're a chance to get a rebound off that and get another point potentially. But you did not attack the goal face. Luke Ryan did. But by then, that was the third opportunity they had to do it. It took them three goes to do what they needed to do. And we saw the confusion on the goal line. They nearly got that behind then. But they'd eroded 40 seconds on the clock. Yeah, I mean, we're critical of Carlton and they're late in play um, set up structure, game sense around what to do, defending a lead, etc., or behind in the game. That was crazy play by Freo. Yet we're talking about a boundary line decision. Let's talk about the players and the mistakes they made out on the field to not get that behind. Do you want to listen to the raw audio of the of the umpire? I'd like to hear it again. This is what the AFL released this morning. Yours. Isn't it a quirk in the laws of the game that the ball can be halfway towards a goal and it still counts even if the siren goes before the ball crosses the line? But when it's not a point or a goal, when it's around the boundary line, it absolutely matters when the, when the, where the ball goes out and when the siren goes in relation to that. The, the AFL's got this right. In the end, they've got this right. And all credit to North Melbourne. Mm. We shouldn't forget that as well. I mean, they've already got as many wins as they did collectively last season. And going over to the West as a young side, it's no easy feat, Scotty. So I think we've got to give a bit of credit to oh. Alistair Clarkson and to the Kangaroos as well. A huge amount of credit. I mean, I think we thought last week West Coast will be a bottom four team. North Melbourne at home probably should win. Yeah. But this was a legitimate win. Freo finalists last year, they won a home final. Uh, they're the team on the back with the Bulldogs after two rounds that they're, I think we can jump too early, but I think there's really legitimate concerns about them. They've got Tabiner out, but they can't go forward with any purpose and look like scoring. And as we've seen, what do the good teams want to do right now? There's been a shift. The good teams want to score. If we look at Collingwood, they're going hard, aren't they? They're the good teams, Geelong even last year, aggressive forward score. So, Ross is a little bit, and we've seen the Saints go, we'll, we'll kick 10 and keep you to nine. There's still a little bit of that. And I think that's circumstantial with the Saints because of uh, Ben King, Membry and so forth are out of the team. But if you're a good team, it's not about that. It's about we need to find – let's find 15 goals because there's a fair chance a team we'll, we come up against or a good one will find 15. And Freo can't do that. And Freo that's can't. their greatest challenge at the moment for Freo. But credit to North, they've gone all over there. Poor record. I think they'd lost three games there by 150 points combined. Uh, and that five. So that's also an interesting it's a story. Curiosity, He's isn't out it? of the team. He's a big bull, but they won't play him in the midfield. So they've handed the keys essentially over to the young group of mids. Minus 15 in clearances. They were smashed around the ball early last night by a North Melbourne team that have got a mixture of youth and older players through the Goldstein back into the ruck. But 
you know, I think he'd be incredibly disappointed, Justin Longmuir, with the performance of their, their midfield to get beaten by that amount in the clearance department. So, yeah, they've got to have a look at themselves because it's been disappointing. Their back line's held up incredibly well. And I was looking and go, well, how do you find goals? Perhaps Brennan Cox, they need to give up something to get something. Mm. Uh, and maybe it is that he looks to push forward because he's very smart. And perhaps we're underestimating the, the loss of Griffin Logue. Do we talk about Luke Jackson? One mark in two games. It's he's a small sample size two games, but he's been disappointing so far. Well, this is no, the thing. When, I, when, I, when a player has a lot of money, and whether yes. it's right or wrong, that player is then expected to perform to a certain level, which they otherwise weren't it's at a, their previous club. It's a really interesting discussion. I've heard people talk about, you know, the value of the co- Should we publish contracts? And I'm a b- big believer in no. I so mm. see no reason why. Because I think we'd spend two or three days after a weekend game and we'd publish all their money, what they get paid, and their performance against that. I think it's an extra layer that the game doesn't need. There's enough speculation out there and we roughly know. Generally, don't we? Well, you know more than me. Yes. (laughs) But I don't discuss that. But through all everyone's networks, there's an understanding of what someone roughly gets paid. You get published the pay categories and that. Okay, and you so can put figure money it out. to one side, but you give up a future first yep. rounder and a future second rounder for a player. So, and you'd expect Luke Jackson for the season to perform better than what he has over the per- first two weeks. So let's look at his Melbourne performance. I think the most relevant thing you can do is compare his Melbourne performances with his Frio. There was a lot of excitement at Melbourne, but there was a lot of okay performances, but mm. not great. He wasn't. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not sure where he finished in their best and fairest. Was he in their best 12 or 14 players? I'd come up with a list of better performed players at Melbourne last year. So then there is another layer of pressure. He's still a third year tall. Also, the issue I have for him that is him finding his best position. He's not their best ruckman and he's not a natural forward. I mean, he had that very good patch against... In the grand final. That one really, quarter against yeah, the Dogs, yes. But as you yeah. said, Sarah, the first thing your first recollection of was that one quarter. There's four quarters in a game, yeah. isn't there? Yet he had this brilliant Well, he quarter. tore it open, that's why. He did. He did, but he did. But Petrarca and Oliver are very good players to um, maximise your work. I mean... I reckon Tom and I might nearly be able to get the odd tap down to them and they make us look great. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you. Maybe you. Maybe not Tom. You know what? I, you are a, a, you're a part of the sum and the Melbourne sum was very good. And I, not taking anything away from his quarter, but perhaps Max Gorn softened them up. Mm. You know, there's really there's some context around There's more nuance. There's yeah, more there nuance. is. He there finished 14th is. in Melbourne's best yeah. and fairest last yeah. year. So although... No one could argue that he was worth a lot at the trade table. That was largely on potential rather than what he performed. He had to be paid. He had to be paid in a sense. And I caught talk draft trade. That was what he was worth. He was, I think, pick two in the draft. Mm. He's shown he's going to be very good and he will be. But it will take time because, you know, he's playing a different role. He doesn't have quite as much on the ball run around freedom. And um, Max and some other pieces of the jigsaw puzzle at Melbourne helped him to do that. And I think what we're seeing at Freo as well, Sarah, is it's considerably more hard, it's considerably more difficult to go from, uh, you know, 14th or 15th to 8th and 7th than it is to go from 7th and 8th to 2nd or 3rd. What Fremantle are trying to do now is take a leap 
that is exponentially harder every single year. And it's a difficult start for the season. At Norton 2, their backs are against the wall. And it's not Luke Jackson's fault. It's not the midfield's fault. But collectively, they're not playing good football. And Justin Longmuir, I thought, was excellent in his press conference last Mm. night. He didn't blame the umpires. He said the umpires got the decision correct. But he's got some work to do. He's known Justin Longmuir as a very good tactical coach. He sets them up defensively really well. And he was known as that at Collingwood as well, as an assistant. But he's got a job ahead of him now. He's got a really difficult job ahead of him to get this team in a, playing in a cohesive fashion, which they haven't done across the first two weeks. And in fairness to Luke Jackson, he would never have drawn the number one defender when he was playing at Melbourne. I mean, Ben Brown, uh, Tom McDonald, mm. those type of players would get that. And then you had Dangerous Fritch. So he might get the, <laughs> the really the hybrid, the elite hybrid defender to shut him down. He goes to Frio. Who were North going to put their best defender on? He's the man. Yeah, he's the one. He's the tall target. They know they'll go to him, so we'll shut him down. So, And it'll take a little bit of time for him to adjust because it's a slightly different role uh, with different expectations. He'll work his way through it. What do we make of the events at Marvel Stadium last night? The dogs with just five goals collectively. They went down to a really undermanned St Kilda by 51 points. No Max King. No Tim Membry, but kind of no worries for the Saints, as it turns out, Tom. Ross Lyon and Alistair Clarkson being collectively yes. four and naught is quite <laughs> remarkable at this time of the season. The truth is stranger than fiction. Isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> it is. Like, we could have, what would the odds have been if we, we don't want to go down that path? Uh, but, I mean, incredible. Amazing. So yeah. the, the Western Bulldogs were Norton 2 in 2020. They finished seventh, shortened season. In 2022, they were Norton 2 and they finished eighth. So they are accustomed to a slower start. They don't make the top four which as is, a rule. Which is problematic, is it not? It's problematic because it's oh. clearly more difficult to win the flag if you don't make the top four. They did it, but no one else has in the in the open team era. So the job's ahead of them now, Scotty, to win some games. And it starts against the Lions this week on a short turnaround with question marks over Adam Trelaw's fitness and Roy Lobb's fitness. Luke Beveridge, after the game last night, said we're down on growth. And when he was asked by Mitch Cleary... What's that? Down on growth. Uh, I guess they're not improving as he would want them to improve. And when he was asked by Mitch Cleary whether they're, not, whether they're fit enough, he couldn't quite say, yes, they are fit, they're just playing badly. He just said, no, they're not running out games. He was quite honest. So I think they understand that they're a long way from it at the moment. Did he say they're not running out games? Yes. That wasn't the issue. No. That was smashed. It was 30... Was it 34 to 2? Mm. I hope you're fit in the he first quarter. They're being overrun, I think, was what he said. Well, to me, they got smashed early. Their defenders were embarrassing. They wouldn't defend. So you cannot allow. So let's look at the St Kilda team. Philippou, second game, three goals. Mitch Owen, second year, three goals. You've conceded six goals to players that aren't key forwards, probably midfielders in time. So pinch hitters that are just learning their craft. Because you didn't respect them. That's the only way that experienced backmen for the Bulldogs can have six goals kicked on them by those players. You came in and you did not respect your opponent. You either didn't do your homework or you thought it would just happen. Mm. It was crazy. And they and we talk about the dogs' weapon as being their midfield. Saints just smacked them around the years early on. Yeah. They had more intent and they didn't give them the corridor. Saints defended the ground well. I mean, one thing that has been consistently talked about the Saints is that they've trained hard over the summer. And they've lost a few soldiers through that. 13 on the injury list, the Saints. 
But those that are out there at the moment, and, and it will it probably there'll be a cumulative toll at some stage, but right now they're fit and ready to go and they're running up and back. They are defending the ground superbly and then they're going hard the other way. And the the teams, the other teams or the teams they've come up against haven't been able to go with them in that regard. So it's funny. Sometimes coaches the aura around them when we talk about Ross strategically and that's the type of coach he is, um, and it's hard to fault at the first two games. I mean, in a game of football now and we talk about teams wanting to score, I think they've given up less than 100 points in total in two games. 93 points. Yeah, that's just Ross lying to a T though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is him knowing what he's got. We can't kick 100. Like, they can't. So we, we have to stop. Now, I don't think that system wins a flag, but Ross is not trying to win a flag with that system. He's trying to win games early in the year or be competitive. And that'll evolve when Max King comes back and so forth, Membry and that, and they get their team, they'll evolve further. But right now, they're playing the game to a tee that suits what they've got out there on the paddock. And both teams that they've come up against haven't been able to counter that and find a way through. Like you think of the dogs off half-back. They're elite ball users. They'll pull the trigger on their kicks, open up the game. They were pushed far and wide all night. Mm. Defended the ground superbly, the Saints. The only negative for the Saints, Sarah, is their captain, Jack Steele, who uh, will have scans on his shoulder today or tomorrow. The concern it could be an AC joint, could be a hairline fracture. They can't lose Jack Steele as well. That would be horrible luck. They've already missed, they're already missing King and Membry and Billings and Webster and Jones. Their injury list is massive. It'd be a shame as well because this weekend coming up, the Saints are celebrating 150 years. So you would hope that the skipper would be out there mm. for that. All right, stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. I'll tell you what, flag pies, it is already gaining momentum in round two. We're going to be joined by Dan McStay next. The award-winning Crunch Time for Azito Power Tools, German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Mitchell has a look, kicks to the teeth of goal. Well done, McStay. Move the pack away from the drop zone. Get this home, shouldn't he? He should. And he does. Daniel McStay hooks it through. One of the many highlights from yesterday with Collingwood triumphant at the MCG by 71 points over Port Adelaide. Dan McStay joining us this morning. Dan, welcome to Crunch Time. Thanks for having me, guys. How does it feel being a Collingwood player and having so much momentum so early in the season? What's it been like? Yeah, it's been pretty exciting. Um, I guess um, it's easy to get up for these games when you've got so many Magpie um, fans coming out and um, yeah, get to play in front of them every week. It's been uh, it's been incredible. What is it like playing in front of those big, raucous crowds? It's kind of been described as almost having an extra player out there. Do you feel that? Do you sense that when you're out there on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. They're um, they're just incredible. They're, they're so loud. Um, they back us in. Um, they just they ride every bump and every wave with us. So, it's um, yeah, they're definitely like a 19th man out there for us. Dan, Tom Morris here. Uh, well done yesterday and well done in your first two games for Collingwood. I was listening to Craig McRae's press conference and I always find it especially intriguing when a senior coach gives special mention to an assistant coach. And he was, he was full of praise for Justin Lepich and the way that the forward line is able to connect with the midfield and the, uh, the whole connectivity has really improved this year. Can you give us an insight into what impact Justin Leppage has had on you and also the Collingwood team as a whole? Yeah, Leppage's been amazing. He um, Obviously, I've known him since Brisbane days, so um, obviously got a pretty good connection with him already. But um, he just brings a... He's so incredibly um, intelligent of, of the game of footy and 
um, I guess when when things are, are tough, he's able to bring bring us all back to to our roles, and um, he's very uh, he's also very jovial. Like he, he enjoys you know just making it a, a really fun time, and um, yeah, we just love playing playing for him as well. So has he changed at all as a senior as a, an assistant coach from what he was as a senior coach? I think um, an assistant coach is always going to be a little bit more relaxed. Um, uh, obviously, there's a lot more ways um, on you when you're a senior coach. So, um, yeah, I've definitely seen him change from being a senior coach to an assistant coach, and um, I really think he's thriving in that. And, um, yeah, I guess that yeah, kind of shows the performance of the forward line yesterday. Dan, well done on your start to the year. Uh, a fairly high-profile decision in the off-season to join Collingwood. Uh, you know, when considering... Why Collingwood? Um, yeah, it was a really tough decision. Uh, it was definitely out of Brisbane and Collingwood. Um, I always wanted to be a one-club player, but as soon as I met with Fly and um, had a meeting with him, I just felt like I was... Um, I felt like he really trusted what I, what I could do for the team and uh, thought that my ability was really going to suit the way that they, they played and the way they wanted to continue to play. So, um, yeah, after that meeting, he was pretty easy decision in the end so um, yeah I'm really glad with the, the decision that I've made and um, feel like I'm, I'm able to have an impact in this in this team so is the role very similar to the one that you played at Brisbane um, it's it kind of chops and changes so yesterday um, obviously they had a fair bit of aerial power with Elia down back um, he was probably one of the best players on the field last week when when they played Brisbane so um, yesterday was kind of nullifying his uh, his influence in the air we knew if we could get it to ground that um, our ground level game was just going to be um, hard to match. So, um, yeah, yesterday was a little bit different. But you know, if in other weeks it might be you know more trying to get involved in in uh, you know in the scores and, and whatever. So um, it's just yeah, week week dependent. Dan, you often hear players take little notice of what happens outside the club regards media, fans, noise, etc. Uh, I imagine often Brisbane are trying to drum up support and interest in the game in Queensland. That's not the case down here where <laughs> attention follows Collingwood. How have you found that aspect of the move? Yeah, that's definitely been an interesting one. Um, <laughs> but it's also been really enjoyable. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of hype around Collingwood at the moment and I feel like I've jumped on it a really good time. Um, things are all going to be all pretty smooth sailing at the moment, but obviously that's not always going to be the case. So um, you just got to take the highs and the lows and, and, um, and you know, treat them pretty neutrally. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely been a change, but um, it's one that I'm really enjoying so far. And inside the four walls is kind of um, all that we really talk about that matters. And um, that's all I'm trying to focus on is um, listening to the coaches and, and the players and, um, and just having that, uh, that connection inside. We're speaking to Collingwood forward Dan McStay. Now, Dan, if you had to choose Josh or Nick Dacos, who are you taking? Jeez, <laughs> oh, it's a tough decision. I'm just glad that I get to play with both of them, to be honest. They're both absolutely incredible players. And, um, you know, Nick probably had the better uh, better day yesterday, but geez, Josh isn't too far behind. He's, um, yeah, it's so incredible. Yeah, it's just amazing that we get to play with both of them. Uh, they're so skillful. Um, they run hard. They're... Um, incredibly hard working so um, yeah it's just exciting to have both of them on the team to be honest. Are they competitive with each other in that brotherly sense? I feel like Josh kicked an incredible goal and then a few minutes later Nick was going I'll show you one better. Yeah they do they uh, they have goal kick comps after training sometimes and uh, it's just like they're playing in the backyard all over again I'm sure so um, it's yeah it's awesome. 
Dan, are you playing good footy because you're having fun or are you having fun because you're playing good footy? Uh, I think we're playing, we're having fun and that's why we're playing good footy. Uh, Fly is massive on um, keeping everyone relaxed and um, just trying to be yourself out there and in the in the rooms and at, at the footy club in general. So um, whether we win, lose or draw, he wants us to act the same inside the four walls. Um, he doesn't want us to ride the highs and the lows of, of our performances individually. And um, I guess that kind of comes out in, in the way we play our footy. Um, you know, we play that chaotic brand and we, we play that, we, we embrace mistakes and that's what Fly's all about. He wants us to be um, having fun, being chaotic, high pressure games um, and trying to outrun the opposition. Dan, looking ahead to this week, you've got Richmond and uh, it seems like Fly has some different thoughts regards other coaches, but he's true to himself. You hear other coaches talk about not focusing a lot on the opposition, which at times surprises me. How does Fly approach it? Do you do a lot of homework or is it more about what you guys do and how you want to execute? Yeah, we talk about um, a few things that uh, the opposition do really well and then some things that we're able to exploit. So um, it's just about um, you know, identifying those things, but then also, um, yeah, just really focusing on us and um, trying to bring the game that we want to play. And um, you know, we we want to play that high pressure, live, live ball type of game. And um, if we can force the opposition to to try and get into that mode, then um, it really suits us. And um, you know, we back ourselves into out pressure them and um, you know, out out beat them in that uh, in that style. So um, you know, teams will try and. Uh, chip the ball around and try and own possession of the ball to, to keep the ball off us. But um, we just got to really tighten up on our defence and make sure that uh, we can we can get the spoils in and, and bring the ball back to ground and uh, and then get back to our style. Watching the game yesterday, Dan, I was mesmerised by Scott Pendlebury. He just seems <laughs> ageless. There's talk about him now. He's on 360 games that perhaps he could play to 400. Do you see that in his preparation and, and professionalism around the club? Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he, he feels as good as he ever has. He he feels like he's running out games better than he has, ever has. And he, he had a seamless preseason where um, barely missed a session. Um, he's so in tune with his body and um, probably one of the most professional guys I've ever met and spoken to. And um, he's he's constantly encouraging guys to try different things. And he's he's learning on the go as well, even at you know 36 or however old he is. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's awesome to have someone like that that's such a um, you know such a high quality player for so many years and still trying to find new things to, to bring to his game and um, and also bring other guys along with him. So um, yeah, it's it's great. Dan, we're loving what Collingwood are doing. Congratulations on the win. Best of luck for the rest of the season and on Friday night against Richmond, it should be a cracker. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, really looking forward to it. Dan McStay there, Collingwood forward. Are they the most watchable team in the comp at the moment, Tom? Clearly at the moment, they're the most watchable for me. I just The, the Scott Pendlebury question is really interesting because sometimes you read an article in the paper, Sarah and Scotty, and it just blows you away and you think, why did I not think of this? And Mick Leeson's <laughs> piece in The Age yesterday about Scott Pendlebury where he articulated just how good Pendlebury is for a 35-year-old. He compared him to Kevin Bartlett as a 35-year-old, compared him to Gary Ablett a Senior as a 34, 35-year-old. Just rung true. I don't think we've seen a player in the history of the game, according to Mick Gleason's article, that is better than Pendlebury's as a 35-year-old. He hasn't slowed down at all. And every single year where he's been fully fit in his career, he's finished top three in their best and fairest.
hard to argue against, and I did see that, the graphic of the best and fairest performances. Is it 13, 14 or 15 top threes? He was second last year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think there was a cup about three years ago, he just looked like, and I think he was carrying an injury. Mm. It was perhaps Bucks' second last or last year, and he made reference to it. And you thought, oh, gee, maybe it gets... But last year he was superb, and you know my memory of him last year was his preliminary final. Mm. Tight ground, pressure at its highest, and he was outstanding. Perhaps their best player, or certainly in their best two. So you're quite right. But if you talk to people at Collingwood, his attention to detail and his preparation, there's no real surprises in our game. I think players either physically or mentally wear out eventually. Physically, he hasn't, and mentally, he's still as dedicated or perhaps more so to offset that age uh, that we've seen. So it's just a, a super effort by him, and he continues to lead the charge, doesn't he? Everyone slows down eventually, but I think of Michael Voss towards the end, Chris Judd towards the end, even Luke Hodge towards the end. They were different players to what they were when Very they were 27, different. 28. Pendlebury's exactly what he was when he's 25, if, if not better. And they, But they play differently. Yeah, He's been... He could be the least, and this is a uh, compliment, he could be the least tackled player of any <laughs> because he is so good. Yeah. He is like that point where he runs the floor and his footwork is so deft that he gets out of trouble when he shouldn't. Uh, he's just superb. Is Truly there a better superb. exponent of that look away handball? He's taking the absolute you-know-what at the moment Clayton Oliver it. and Scott Penderbury, the way they handball over their heads is quite phenomenal. And, um, I mean, Clayton Oliver's more bash and crash, but Mick Leeson made a point in the article. Scott Pendlebury's not an outside player. No, he's not. But, but when he has the ball, he becomes an outside player because he's so difficult to tackle. Yeah. All right, stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, we unpack Fremantle and North. The Roos are looking good at two and zip. The award-winning Crunch Time for Azito Power Tools, German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Some crazy results overnight, of course. One of those was North Melbourne upsetting Fremantle. And, Tom, you've got some stats when it comes to sides that go 0 and 2. Enlighten me, dear friend. Uh, Sarah, I got into a deep dive last night about teams that are naught and two and teams that are two and naught and what the probability is for them to play finals and miss finals and make the top four and win the premiership and so on. <laughs> so let me lay it out for you, Scotty. I want you to analyse these raw numbers. So every team at the start of the year has a 44% chance of playing finals. That makes sense. Eight out of yep. 18 teams. That's not too complicated for you. No, Tom, thank you. Now, I'm still with you. Now, <laughs> that's a good start. Dumb <laughs> it down as much as you can. <laughs> Since 2012, which is when we became an 18-team competition, yep. There's been 58 teams who have been two and naught. Yes. Now, 41 of those teams have played finals. So if you're two and naught, you have a 70% chance of playing finals. At the moment, St Kilda, North Melbourne, they're both two and naught. Now, you put it on the flip side. If you're naught and two since 2012, that's 10 years. It's a fair sample size. 59 teams have been naught and two. And 10 of those 59 teams have played finals. So if you're naught and two, as what we see at the moment with Fremantle, as what we see at the moment with the Western Bulldogs and Geelong, you have a 17% chance to play finals. Now, leave that there for the moment because that's, that's neither here nor there, I don't think, too much. The big one for me is that in the last 10 years, if you're Norton 2, you have a 5% chance to make the top four. And no team since 1999 has won the flag from Norton 2, which tells me that, yes, Geelong have an easy, easier run coming up, 
the Western Bulldogs have some difficult games coming up. So you can analyse that. But in terms of probability, the odds are against these teams making the top four, which we know historically is when where you need to finish in order to win the Premiership, aside from the Western Bulldogs in 2016. Well, the saying is, and your cricketing would benefit <laughs> from this, there's only room for a score, not a story. Yeah. <laughs> Here we need a story, don't we? Yeah. Like you look at Geelong's fixture, who they've played. Yep. Uh, they should be three and two, Geelong. They should, should be. They should be three and two in three weeks. Who do yes. they have coming yeah. up? I got Gold Coast yeah. next week. And so and it's who you play. But you know the raw number is if you're any good, you win games mm. and you don't lose. Like so, those stats make sense. Yeah. Um, the flip side is Geelong have played the premiership favourite and a team that I think will be good. Carlton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they've got a bit of work to do. Mm. So. They've got some things they want to work on. Maybe they do. Maybe they do finish fifth. Yeah. So they they qualify on the top top eight theory, but they can't get top four because it's it's a stacked queue. I think. I, I look at Br- Brisbane, who righted the ship somewhat in a sense. Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, Sydney, Collingwood, and like there's five to me, five very good teams going for four spots, and then we've got about five going for the next. Um, Four spots in the eight. Mm. Five into four, and then one will flop flop down. So there's probably three spots left for about five teams. I think right now there's ten teams around about that, that can make the eight. Um, and it will ride itself. North Melbourne are going well, but that's going to change. So of the zero and twos, Frio, Geelong, Adelaide, probably Gold Coast, Hawthorne, and the Dogs, mm. under your uh, stats – I think Freo and the Dogs are under real pressure, but one of those could, and I think Geelong will. So one of those will probably yes. miss. Yeah. Which is big for Fremantle because you'd expect them to make it at the start of the season. And Absolutely. you would have expected the Western Bulldogs to make it at the start of the season. And if you look at it on the flip side, the fact that North Melbourne and St Kilda are both two and naught, you wouldn't expect either of them to make it at the start of the season. But the statistics say, this is not meant to say that they will make it but the stats say that at least one of those two teams will make the eight which is remarkable in itself but there's a possibility all the teams we're talking about could make the eight as well right yes yes <laughs> that's the other thing because everything is up for grabs it's like the old one if you get to a you know you win 90 percent of the games if you get to 100 first mm. well no kidding most teams don't get to 100 so when you get to 100 they're 87 and there's one minute left in the game I know like it's there's some really weird stats that you go well that's kind of it's like you kick more goals you win in the opposition you win 98% of your games well duh yep if you're yeah. Norton 3 as the Western Bulldogs might be if they lose to the Brisbane Lions yep. then no team in the last decade has made the top 4 from that position oh well look let, let's just do it there'd be 19 games left they'd need to win 15 of 19 mm to make the top four. And that gives you no wiggle room. Particularly because you're Norton 3, you've got the statistical element. There'll be 20 games left because it's a 23-game season now, isn't it? Yeah. Spot on. It still yeah. makes it difficult. But the story behind 0 and 3 is you're playing no good. So how do you win 15 of 19 or 15 of 20? Yeah. Not not the stats. The fact is you're 0 and 3 and playing poorly. To just go on a run is really difficult. Mm. Mm. All right, let's have an eye towards today's footy. The Swans coming up against the Hawks. That is the first match at 1.10. And Hawthorne head of football, Rob McCartney, has been good enough to join us. Welcome to Sunday Crunch Time, Rob. Thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. Were all those stats making any sense to you there? I was getting a little bit lost with all those numbers. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you can get lost in numbers. Um, and that's the thing, isn't it? Balancing uh, 
feel for the game with with uh, the analytical side of it is is the key, I suppose. But yeah, you can throw up and tell a story about a lot of numbers um, and uh, and make it sound good for you. So yeah, no, I'm I'm one that um, balance feel with numbers, and that's probably the best way to go. Well, what did you make from the numbers of round one and and the disappointing loss to the Bombers, Rob? Yeah, look, we we were there's no doubt. You you would have heard Sam speak after the game. We were. We were disappointed with how we played. Um, there is a, a real need that to compete in this competition. You've got to bring, you know, a greater effort than what we showed on the weekend. But we felt that was out of character for this group. Um, if we look at the sample size of even, you know, the pre-season games and and last season where this group has played most of the footy together, that isn't true to the indication. They're looking to bounce back, but. Um, we accept that the, the spotlight needed to be honest because it was a performance that was well below par. Rob, in the off-season, I think it's obvious as to what you're trying to achieve with Gunston, O'Meara and Mitchell uh, traded on uh, and the opportunity for young players to get games. Can you take us just behind how those conversations begin and potentially some of the numbers that underpin that decision? I, I know it's not just a case of you decide this is the way we're going. How does that work through and happen? I think um, I think the first thing that that you look at is you 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 obviously reassess how this has played out in the competition over a long period of time, um, and we can go back even only a sort of a recent period for us where, you know, in some ways, you know, we saw the challenges that present when you hang on too long to a group of players that aren't going to be part of that next successful period. So that was probably first and foremost, and then. You go back even a little bit closer, and you you look at your performance within the previous twelve months. And you know what we liked about our group was that the players that were twenty four and under um, they got some really good exposure, but they actually performed well in the competition. Now, Champion Data has has ratings for the season, and we had we had the most of of any team in the competition that rated nine or above in its Champion Data player rating that were twenty four and under. So we had 10 of those players that, that rated there and next best club was five. Now, admittedly, that club and those clubs that were in that bracket had some really high performers like Fremantle with, you know, Sarong and and, uh, and Brody and the likes. But we had a massive players that we thought were sort of starting to develop. What we also then did is we looked at each of our lines in terms of how they were performing. And I think the one thing that's lost in in translation with a lot of the storylines this week is that we were the 18th best midfield in the competition. Um, so pursuing the, the same that we'd done in the last 12 months wasn't going to mean that we were going to jump significantly if we had have kept O'Meara and Mitchell as well. Um, don't get me wrong, those two boys are, are ripping, ripping men and they're players, but if we're talking about the future of our club, we needed to get started with building that next midfield. And while the Essendon game was really disappointing, what it did show is it showed the future. You know, McKenzie plays his first game and he starts inside. Does he get that opportunity without the tough decisions that were made at the end of the year? I don't think so. They, they take his next step by becoming a, an inside mid. Again, you know, if Amir and Mitchell are still at the club, is that opportunity presenting for him in round one? Um, this season, it probably isn't. And then you, you you understand that Newcomb still gets to to, to start. Ward starts to grow. 
and the re-emergence of Warple um, gets a real opportunity. Now, all those things have been for the betterment of, of what our future looks like, but they're not easy decisions to make, but they are strategic ones that are made with lots of information, as was suggested before. A young player that I am keen to ask about, and I see he's in emergency today, Granger Barras. Has he had a limited prep or just his form hasn't been up to scratch? Because I imagine, Rob, he's a young player that you would like to get as many games into as you can as soon as possible. Yeah, I've just um, been up here in Sydney and they're playing the VFL game on the, on the ground just outside the SCG. So getting a bit of a look at him in today. Look, he's had... He's had a reasonable prep. His form hasn't been at the level where he becomes an automatic starter. Now, at the moment, the, the thing that we've got now is that he's not trying to, to win a game over Kyle Hardigan anymore. Um, he's trying to, to compete against players of his own age. So form is, is going to be much more important for our younger players now in terms of getting opportunities. So um, we like what we saw. They played the first match last week against Essendon and he played quite well. His first half over here has been close. I think we'll see him early in the year. Rob, what does success look like for Hawthorne this year? Oh, look, I think success for us is is continued growth of, of that group that will play in our next premiership. So the beauty is that if you if you start with Sicily, um, our captain, it's players that are his age and younger, growing and developing and, and showing that with 20, 40, 60 games under their belt how much better they'll be and whether they'll be ready to, to both play and compete and win finals. I think the second part of success for us is that our game style continues to grow and evolve. Um, I think we saw plenty of what we liked last year in our attacking brand, but we've got to defend better. Um, and I think that'll be the part of our, our game that um, will determine this year as a success is if that grows in a way allows you to think that, yes, they've got a balance between attack, but also, you know, a nice resolve in terms of defence. Rob, I'm not sure what your footy appetite, footy media appetite is like during the week, but I want to play some audio from Footy Classified from Wednesday night from leading footy journalist Damien Barrett. But they're, they're certainly not in the business this year of, of trying to win as many matches as they can. And if you want to put a certain lens over that, the way they've structured themselves for the future this year, it, it's, a, it's a form of tanking to what they've done this year. <laughs> Very quickly, the tanking, the tanking debate or the, the word tanking makes me shudder because no one can actually properly define it. But how do you respond to something like that? And did you see it? I did. Yeah, I did hear it. And I don't think, um, again, you, you nearly have to be living under a rock if, if you didn't hear some of the storylines. But I think you guys have, have, have watched footy for a hell of a long time. And, um, you know, our senior coach in, in Sam Mitchell was probably the most competitive person I've, I've seen in my time in, in footy. Um, to, to make a statement that this club isn't trying to win is absolutely ridiculous. We have to balance because where our next opportunity is in terms of success, in terms of winning finals and then winning premierships, do we need to balance short-term goals against long-term goals? Of course we do. Um, any high-performing organisation has to do. It's the weighting that you put on those at those times. You can actually win it again. And we're in a we're in a, uh, a competitive market that doesn't allow you to get there unless you make tough and strong decisions at every time that you get an opportunity to. And you know we don't shy away from. We think our team is a hell of a lot better than last week. 
And we hope the first half of the season will show some of that. But for someone to say that, you know, we're not trying to win, well, that's ridiculous. Well, Rob, it doesn't get any easier today. Good luck against the Sydney Swans. We appreciate you coming on Sunday Crunch Time. No worries at all. Good on you guys. Rob McCartney there, head of football at Hawthorne. The second hour of Sunday Crunch Time coming up next. The award-winning Crunch Time for Azito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time for Azito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Six games are in the book, Tom Morris, and there is plenty to unpack. Collingwood v Port is the one that really got me yesterday. <laughs> Collingwood started like a, they looked like a premiership team that first hour, didn't they? The first half, especially. Port Adelaide had a great game against Brisbane the week before. So they went into that match thinking they were every chance to challenge the Pies. And they did for a certain portion in the second half, but really they were completely blown away. And Ken Hinckley spoke about it after the match. He referred to the Pies as the benchmark, which he doesn't say those words lightly, Ken Hinckley. That means something. They had 13 different goal kickers, Collingwood. um, And this is without Jeremy Howe in defence as well, who will uh, return to the club this week. And just on that, that's an important moment in his recovery because he has to meet with the doctors at the Pies to determine how long he's going to be out for. So we expect to know more more in the next few days on that. But something about Collingwood is is pretty special at the moment. And there was a thought last year, Scotty, that that loss uh, to Sydney at the SCG by a point would really impact them early. But it's um, it hasn't so far. They've been very good the first two weeks. Scott Lucas, they are absolutely flying the Pies. The benchmark, though, is it too early to be calling a team the benchmark team after just two rounds of footy? Uh, potential. Look, they beat Geelong, who won the flag last year by four goals last week. So, look, there's always a little bit of byplay with coaches. They can put <laughs> some, loads some pressure up on Colin. The only element is you. do you want to be – they've got to hold this for the next 21 mm. weeks, which is neither here nor there in a sense. But, you know, you do see – it's a long year. Uh, Melbourne couldn't have started last year any better. I think, you know, we generally thought perhaps the middle of last year they were four goals better than anyone else at that point in time. But it can change. But they're playing super footy at the moment and um, they really wanted to address their clearances and that, that was the Tom Mitchell decision. Plus 12 yesterday is a big tick, isn't it? I mean, that would please them to no end. So to be able to go out, identify an area of weakness and be able to address it with... Some cost, but next to little cost. I mean, for what they gave up in terms of pick and so forth. To move Brody Grundy on and have Cameron uh, win hit outs by 10 over Lysette is a couple of big ticks for their overall strategy and how the balance of their list. Because no doubt they felt compromised by having uh, Brody there on that sort of money. It, it made it hard to do other things. And that allowed them to bring McStay in. Bobby Hill, who's kicked goals both weeks. So they're very well balanced at the moment. Um, and Nick Dacos, I mean, there are players that get tagged that can't beat the tag. He's not one of them. But there's only about <laughs> five weeks a year that you get sat on. So that player might have 15 or 18 in that game, and he has five of those a year. But the other 17, he gets 30, 35. So we, we laud those games, but no, if a club has a, someone that can do the job on them, they're really vulnerable. Nick Dacos has 32 and has two goals 
with Lockie Jones sitting on him for the first part of the game, Pal Pepper. And he was so dominant that they basically abandoned that plan. It wasn't worth it, was it? No. No, they gave up their structure and Nick was equally as dominant. So they go, well, let, let's have the structure. So it was a huge performance by him and a very mature one. I mean, we know a lot of players can get 30 without anyone on them. It's a high possession league and there is some freewheeling now where teams back structure over putting someone head to head. So that that's a big tick. And the best thing Nick has done is that other cl- teams will have watched that and perhaps thought they might tag in the future, but now go, I'm not sure about that. And he can go to half back. So because he can play multiple positions and impact, there are those players that are purely mids, get tagged out of the game. We'll put them in a forward pocket and whoever goes to them there just says, well, you're of no impact. I'll start creating my game, but he can just go behind the ball. So it was a really mature performance by him um, along the way and the evenness through the, through the team. There's something contagious about the Magpies at the moment. And when they get on a roll, Tom, they just get on a roll. And they looked unstoppable yesterday. 13 goals in that opening half set up the 71-point win over Port Adelaide, who just looked a little bit listless. They were completely smashed around the ball. Yeah. They started well, though, didn't they? Like, Port, early on, it was two, three goals each. For about 15 or 20 minutes. It's not like some other teams that didn't turn up in a sense, and got smacked from the go- the get-go. They were good early. They matched them around the ball. Dixon had two on the ball. They were moving it well. Fantastic. So you had your forwards up and in the game, a um, couple of key clearances and so forth. So there was balance there. And then Collingwood just went bang, which Take, just shows their class. If, if you look at where Port Adelaide are at as a club from a broad perspective, Kenny Hinckley's out of contract at the end of the year. And David Kosh their president or chairman, has said that uh, he won't open discussions until August. So essentially, Ken Hinckley has three-ish months to prove to himself, and I think he would admit that, but also prove to the club that he deserves another deal, and for the club to, I guess, work out what direction they're going to go in. And I quite like it, because they're all in on this year. They're not like other clubs where they're looking into 2024, 25. Ken Hinckley says, we want to be good right now, this year, and if, we're, if, we're, if I'm not good enough then there might be a call that's made after, what, 11 or 12 years in the job. But it puts him under pressure as well because when you play a team like Collingwood, the question is, is Port just not an elite team, they're just a good team, or uh, Collingwood just unbelievable? And Port really against Brisbane last week is actually where Port are at, maybe a fourth, fourth, fifth, sixth team. It, two rounds in, it's very hard to assess exactly where they're at, Port. I'm still quite positive about them and bullish about them. But yesterday's performance was a little bit of a blow. I think it's impossible to rate Port, isn't it? Because they were so good seven days ago. Well, where do you think? Where do you think they're at? Mid, mid playing finals, possibly. Yeah. But far, I think early days. I have you know last year's top eight, um, Port and Carlton. Sort of there's ten. Yeah. So Saints. It's going to be hard for the Saints over the course of the year to maintain. Like they're going so well at the moment. Um, but I think there's a cumulative effect of injuries, et cetera. So maybe they're the 11th because they did win 11 games last year. So let's have 11 teams. Yeah. They're in that mix. But um, but is that enough for Ken Hinckley to keep his job if they well, finish 9th or 10th? That's a really difficult question. Oh, I'm interested question. in your point. And the alternative is no better in a sense, but there's a lot of speculation going to be on Ken and the team this year that I yeah. don't think is entirely helpful. And history says, like, it was a tough year for the Giants last year with Leon. Uh, it was a tough year for Buckley, four or five. But then he got 
the tick yep. initially that year, but then two years ago it was time was up and that was a quite a listless year for Collingwood, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, it's not ideal. I would hope that, and I understand why Kosh says August. Yep. Now, if they're 10 and zip, it'll be done in June. Yeah, easy. Well, they won't be now because no. they've already lost a game. So I think that helps in a sense, but the pressure, it's really hard for Ken in a sense but I think to he, deal I with think that. he welcomes the pressure listening to him speak. Hmm. I think he's extremely pragmatic and realistic about where he's at and where Port's at. He's had a good stint at it, a good run at it. Yeah, he might be comfortable. And that's the other question. There's those coaches that want, look, I think Nathan in 2017 yeah. clearly wanted to go on. But I think by the time 2021 came around, it was almost like, okay, I un- I understand. It was almost and, like a handshake. Yeah, we've done it was our almost best, like we we've on. done our best. This group needs another voice and and yeah. move on in a sense. But they've really focused on their midfield Port Adelaide and, and um, bulking that up over the off-season. And the, and the natural progression they're going to get from Rosie and Butters and these sort of guys is going to lift. Jason Horn francis as a um, as a trade was massive for two reasons. Because A, it looks ahead to the future, but B, it sort of satisfies the need in 2023 to have a better on-ball brigade. And he looked electric at times yesterday. And he looked unbelievable at times last week as well. But he's still a young kid, so you can't expect him to carry the midfield either, Sarah. No, you can't. And there was a curiosity around Jason Horn francis at the MCG yesterday. He was getting booed by Collingwood fans, it seemed, throughout the match. And this was Jared Waitley commenting on it and also Craig McRae post-game. A good steal. He's too far out himself. You go to Horn francis at centre-half forward. <laughs> just insipid stuff, he's brilliant, honestly. Just can't, I can't quite fathom... Some of them Why have read a paper fans would see their, where they would see their role in this. Well, funnily enough, I didn't hear that. Someone said that to me. I, I honestly didn't hear that. I, I said this last year. Um, I've got a little six-year-old. I, we don't boo. We don't boo in our household. We, um, we respect the opposition and other, other athletes. So it's just not something I would do. Something you'd discourage them from doing? Well, you pay your money, you can do what you like. But I, you know, in my household, we don't boo. It's a bit of a shaky start for Billy Frampton. Am I the only one who just doesn't really get what's going on? As far as I could tell, Port Adelaide were playing Collingwood, not North Melbourne. I might expect booing from the outers <laughs> if, it's a, if it's against the Kangaroos, Scotty. But why are Magpie fans booing Jason Juan Francis? Am I missing something here? Well, I don't know is the short answer. But if I was to hasten a guess, and I have nothing really better than this one. Yeah. Horn Francis was pick one two years ago. I think Nick Dacos was disappointed he wasn't the pick one. Uh, I wonder whether the Collingwood fans on behalf of Nick, are, it's almost a, a, a silent protest that Nick's the best. I, I don't. I can't come up with anything better than that. Nick's the best player. He should have been one, not you. But Nick sliding a couple of picks helped Collingwood from the points ratio if we look at the draft. Um, but to your point, it's too much to expect of a young player with Horn Francis. That's fair, but to the Nick Dacos does it each week. Will Ashcroft might do it each week. Yeah, well, that'll be that'll be the area for Jason Horn Francis to continually work on, isn't it? That consistency, because I don't think perhaps he quite has the engine of the others. Yeah. So perhaps there's a type of game that suits him better to be involved in because he's a contested player. Uh, perhaps it's an SC. 
certain grounds even, if it's a real fast-flowing, up-tempo game, that might be a type of game that challenges him as a player. I found it really... At this stage. Really interesting watching and listening to the Jason Horn francis story evolve late last year. Oh, there's a lot and of parties to it, yeah, isn't there? There's it, a it, couple of cheer, different cheer squads going right. at it with it. Huge amount of talk if, around it, if you far sp- more than needs be. If you speak to people around him and Port Adelaide, they would suggest pretty strongly that North Melbourne as an environment wasn't the right um, club for him and they didn't foster his development and he was never really happy there. If you speak to people around North Melbourne, they'll say that he was the architect of his own demise himself and that he was never going to work out at North because he didn't come with the right attitude. So the truth is probably somewhere Somewhere in between. between. But what I will say about the booing, I think think it's risky for us to draw a... uh, to put a blanket over all Collingwood supporters because I reckon Collingwood supporters and all footy supporters in a group environment, once one group starts booing, the the rest just follow. (laughs) And I don't think they necessarily have a logical reason to do so. Sometimes. I liked Craig McRae's comment. I see no need to do it. Should he call? Should he call it out and tell the Collingwood supporters not to do it? It's sometimes that encourages them yeah, to do it even yeah, more. Exactly. I it? think it's really difficult because he did make a good point that they pay their money, they come along in a respectful way, which is hard to fathom with booing. You know, we've seen issues around it where it certainly wasn't, um, but I couldn't agree with him more. Like, why? Let's sell it. Acknowledge and respect the opponents, the opposition team, and love your team. Mm-hmm. I don't think there needs to be – I don't see the need for love and hate. I see respect for what they're doing. Don't want them to win, but I love my guys. Mm-hmm. Cheer my guys. Don't worry about the opposition. Give them a clap when they do something great. I mean, he's always talking sense, isn't he, Craig McRae? I love listening to him. I get a little bit mesmerised listening to Craig McRae. Everything he says, there's just gold dripping off it, Tom. He's softly spoken and he speaks slowly and he comes from a place of care rather than, I guess, sort of like a bulldozer old school coach. It's interesting thinking about Craig McRae's evolution as a coach because it was him or Adam Kingsley to get that Collingwood job. And he got it, then Adam Kingsley went to GWS. And they're very different coaches, very different attitudes to the game. Um, and clearly what McRae's done with Collingwood is quite remarkable. But in the early days, it would suggest that Kingsley's well-suited to GWS as well, which tells you that there are different ways to skin a cat. McRae's answer to that question was perfectly in keeping with how he speaks to people behind closed doors as well. He's, he's, a, um, he's in touch with more than just the football strategy side of the game. I, you know what? He's he's not building. We have a view of him. Mm. We're going to, I think, more broadly underestimate his football mouse, though, because we're going to talk about one thing. We're going to talk about him as being the whisperer. The emotional connection. The emotional connector. Mm. And everyone's going to do that, but acknowledge that they – like the way they're playing and the way they've set up is different than before he arrived. Yeah. So he's come in and changed the way they've played, hasn't he? And so David King was fantastic that. on that last week. Mm. So, because how often do we hear an excuse for for teams? Oh, new coach, new game plan. It's going to take time. Yeah, he came in one year, and the next year they were the preliminary finalists. Like it's a, an incredibly quick transformation. So, a he's clearly able to identify a game style that gives them a great chance to win. But b coach it, implement it, foster it, train it. You know. Yeah. 
There is a whole yeah. lot of love, though, around Collingwood, and he describes yeah. himself as yeah. being a father to 44 young yeah. men. So that says he's, a fair bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. He's I mean, I'll, kind of playing everyone on the break a bit. He's done it very well. Well, I'm getting played. I'll tell you that well, much. No, 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 in the sense that he's able to do – he's got that and he's built that connection and he talks about it. And everyone goes, oh, he's great, he's great. But behind that, he'd be like the duck with his feet under the water, <laughs> strategizing and nailing game plan with his assistants and so forth. I think he's – we focus on one area, but I, I hope it's not to the detriment of understanding how well-rounded he is. When he said he was the father to 44 uh, Collingwood players, I'm, I immediately thought of Justin Langer saying the same thing to the Australian cricket team, which was PR spin. Justin Langer didn't have that relationship with the players that he thought he had. But you speak to people behind the scenes at Collingwood and McRae's absolutely bang on. They do like him a lot. On Dacos, Nick Dacos and Josh Dacos, there's something incredibly satisfying about seeing two young players dominate for the team they always knew they were going to play for. Special. You know, they they will be... Nick and maybe Josh, but certainly Nick, I think, will be franchise players. They have black and white through their veins, to use a cliche. And it's pretty rare. And that's why the father-son rule is so good in AFL. And we asked Dan McStay before in the first hour, of course, their teammate, which one would you take, Josh or Nick? I mean, would we would we take Nick? We want to take both. But they they kind of build each other up each game, don't mm. they? And even if you consider the market, of, like Nick is franchise stuff. Like he's at the biggest club. Now, if he didn't wear 35 and his dad wasn't Peter, would it be 70% of what he actually... Look, there, there is that. You're quite right, Tom. It's the overflow and the history and the meaning of being Peter's son and how great Peter was that adds to the overall package. It's a huge part of it, notwithstanding how well he's playing. Yeah, the fact he's dominating as well. Yeah. Now, in round one, Tom, we saw the bump strangely emerge three times. It looks like tackling's an issue this round. Ryan Burton, is he going to have a case to answer for his tackle on Jamie Elliott? He will have a case to answer on Jamie Elliott. And uh, this will be graded as careless and high contact. You can lock those two things in. And it will be at least medium impact, which is one week. But the potential to cause serious injury could easily elevate it to high impact, which would be two weeks. I'd be surprised if it was elevated to severe, but... We don't know for sure based on what happened last week. So Jamie Elliott was okay. He played out the game. I've spoken to Collingwood this morning. He's fine. There's no concussion test. But he the, won't get severe then on that ground alone, You'd think not, but last week we had a severe ruling in the absence of injury. So why can't that happen again based on a tackle? You know, the same happened for McAdam. The, mm. there, was, there was no injury here, but that was graded as severe, which was part of Adelaide's we go down a argument. Rabbit, we, yeah, we go down a rabbit hole, don't we, about you know, the tackle and the legitimacy of the football v the non-football yeah. act and so forth. Yeah, there is an element of great. I, I hope it's not severe in that sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, there's three things that the MRO will look for here. Was there a big rotation? Was the player in a vulnerable position, i.e. his arms pinned? And was there excessive force? They're the three sort of markers for uh, Michael Christian to look at this morning um, as, he, as he determines exactly how many weeks he deserves. I just can't understand how or why players do that now. I mean, it is like you and the three of us would have watched that and goes, he's on a holiday. Yeah. Mm. Uh, unfo- Nathan Broad, you're on a holiday. You know, Scotty, there Yet is a... Players f- keep doing it. I mean, there is a point where you can take them to ground with the swivel and the swing and the dump uh, or the tackles complete, release them, get them to the ground and almost release. I just don't understand with the ramifications and justifiably so as we talk about concussion and the mm. impact and how important it is not for not for 
kids playing. We talk about that a lot. For the players and the participants that are out on the ground, that's who we need to protect as well. There's a view, uh, there's a view in clubland that the umpires should blow their whistle slightly earlier so the player doesn't feel need or doesn't feel obligated to finish the tackle. Therefore, the person who's being tackled isn't in such no, a dangerous position. No, but you've got to tackle long. correctly. Dude, you've got to, to tackle correctly. You don't have to finish the tackle by another pirouette and a dump into the ground. I mean, you don't have to drive them in. I agree, but I think both can be true. Yes. I think yep. the, the umpire can blow the whistle fractionally earlier and the player shouldn't be looking to dump or rotate the I do the think the whistle more is a reasonable point too because there's a couple of times where it should have been holding the ball or it shouldn't have, should have been a ball up, I yep. thought, on the weekend. And then they just kind of go, oh, well, it, and then it spills out and away we go. And I go, you know, that should have been a decision made sooner. So I think you're right. Both can be true. But um, players should be under no illusions as to what their responsibility is. Mm. And I think it's too late to change. But I think even the last week, just reflecting perhaps my initial thoughts and then th- about, you know, concussion and so forth, that the cosy I think the cosy uh, into the future and not now because players, are, that next year that has to be a higher grading. That has to cost you more weeks next year. So not this year. Two, you want it to be three? Oh, I think I think it's higher next year. Yeah, Higher if, than three? Yeah, if we see Cozzy and McAdam, I think it needs to be sort of four. We, we need to yeah. – players will keep because there's a reflex and so forth, but we just need to protect our players as much as we can. So I'll stand by the fact that under the framework that Michael Christian yes. has – I think he made the right call. Absolutely. But, I, but, absolutely. But, but I think we can adjust the framework next it's year. It's a different discussion around, okay, are we happy with these acts being two or three or do we need to say, no, 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 we yeah. we can't have it? Because it was interesting hearing from rugby during the week who mm. I sometimes look at them and go, what are they doing, you know? <laughs> and, and But hearing a commentator say or perhaps an ex-player that they call that a shoulder charge yep. and it's like six or eight. Yeah. So I go, okay, well, then that, that gave it a new level of context to me also. I think we need to really look at it. I heard Lee Matthews say that players, that we should consider the players shouldn't be allowed to tackle above the nipple because that would reduce the impact on the head in terms of whiplash and potential incidental contact to the head, which is what it is in rugby union, I believe, which is an interesting point as well, something to consider. At Adelaide Oval yesterday, you mentioned it before, Scotty Lucas, Nathan Broad should expect a holiday. And from Damien Hardwick's comments post-game, there was clearly no malice in the tackle on Patrick Parnell. And and Nathan Broad knew immediately that he had done something wrong and he said that to his coach post-game. What can we expect from the MRO there, Tom? Because Patrick Parnell, he looked really, really unwell when he was lying on the turf. It was a sickening incident, wasn't it? So this will be, again, careless conduct. And it's careless, not intentional, because it's considered a football act. A tackle is a football act. High contact, clearly, because he's hit his head on the ground. And this will be severe. So this will be straight to the tribunal, which will be a minimum of three weeks. And I would have thought that the AFL would argue for at least four with this. Do you agree or not? Um... So I think three, if it's three, if we can get to three without it going to the tribunal, give the three and move on. This will go to the tribunal because it'll be severe. So they might so, argue for three. They might all agree on three, but I'll be surprised if the AFL didn't argue for more. It's a bit clunky, isn't it? Sometimes it's a bit clunky, yeah. yeah. It is a bit clunky. Yeah. Can we have a listen to Damien Hardwick after the game talk about this incident in particular? Yeah, look, obviously, you know, Nathan came and apologised to me and he'll, he'll apologise to the, the young man as well. It was you know, just one of those ones. No one goes out there deliberately trying to hurt a player. It's just in the heat of the battle and, you know, he'll 
He'll, uh, he's got a, a duty of responsibility. He knows that, and we understand that. So obviously that'll be, be dealt with during the week. Do you know anything? Duty of responsibility. Yep. The duty of care to your fellow players mm. is absolutely paramount. And it seems like the Tigers are going to probably accept whatever whack they get there. Just on the Tigers, what did we make of their performance yesterday? It was highly unusual. They were up by 45 points. The Crows got back to within one point and it looked like they'd spent all their tickets and the Crows once again just so wayward in front of goal. Matthew Nix would be just tearing the very little hair he has left out of his head, Scotty. <laughs> he would be. He would be. Um, we look at both their weeks and their opportunity to win and it was there. I mean... He's really just got to look, though, no further than the start. So he shouldn't be, you know, it was 10-16 in the end, but the the game is done at halftime when it's 11-3 to 3-6. It's done. Like, in those conditions, quite warm, the petrol ticket's required to get back into the game. And the margin for error is so small because, I mean, a good team's not, you know, when you're eight down, you go, can we keep them to three goals in the second half and we kick 10? Probably not. I mean, they kick seven. In the end, it was Richmond pull away because they just spent their small forwards. Very exciting, though. I mean, they they were the ones that got them back into the game. Rochelle Rankin, and um, also the sub blocking Murphy that came in gave them an energy in their forward half that that helped them. Because Richmond, whilst good medium talls, not you know that small defender role. Jaden Short's a very attacking player, sets them up well. But um, yeah. Tough for them. It's going to be tough, and they've got a tough run coming up. So they're zero and two. Uh, a tough year for the Crows. A team that are two and zero are St Kilda. Zane Gordy is going to join us up next, and Tom, you're going to deliver some news when it comes to Jack Steele, their captain. A bit of a shoulder concern. Tom will have the latest on his condition after this. The award-winning crunch time. For Azito Power Tools, German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Zane Cordy from St Kilda set to join us very shortly. But Tom, you've got some news out of last night's game. St Kilda getting up by 51 points over the dogs, but it appears that maybe it has come at a cost. Yeah, at a cost for Jack Steele. It's a massive blow for St Kilda after such a positive first two weeks of the year. My understanding is that it's a collarbone AC joint. Um, which will leave him out for several weeks. Now, St Kilda Football Club is still waiting to hear back about the uh, about the layoff and what the procedure is from here on. But the fact that he's um, there's actually a fracture there and it's a collarbone AC joint, that is um, remarkable in the fact that he came back on, but also a massive loss for the Saints in, the fu- in future weeks, Scotty. Absolutely. You're right. Came back on, huge effort. But they don't need to lose another man down. That injury and, uh, list, it keeps growing, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, you know, some of them are acute injuries. They're not soft tissue where you start to question the ground surface or the what, this or that, or what are we doing wrong or high performance, etc. It's just, yeah, a lot are just acute injuries that uh, players have missed significant time with. Jack Steele is a, he's a courageous player. He's a combative player. And the fact that he came back on only adds to the sort of legend he's creating yes. at St Kilda, doesn't it? He's, <laughs> he's become... Colt figure's not the right word because he's a bit too polished and clean cut for that. But he's he's a leads, leader. He's a proper leader. Leads by example. Yeah. He may be a man of many words, but if not, that example that he sets for his team out on the field is more than adequate. Mm. 
Well, when it comes to on the field, the Saints are absolutely flying two and zip after a 51-point win last night. Zane Cordy was there kicking two goals from his 13 disposals. Zane, thank you for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. How was last night? It must be nice to be walking around with two wins in the back pocket. Uh, yes, uh, it's a good start to the season for us. Um, it was a bit interesting playing against the old mob. Um, a few interesting words said at times, <laughs> but no, it was uh, it was very good fun. Um, we're uh, obviously, like you guys have said, we've been hit with a few injuries, but it's good to see a couple of young boys stepping up and really playing a good role for the team. Yeah, so coming up against the old side, I'm sure you would have had it circled around the fixture round two. Who was giving you the most slip? Uh, I've still got a couple of good friends there, but uh, me, and, me and Luba said a couple of words <laughs> to each other, and then there was a little half-time scruffle as well, so it was good fun to get involved in that. But um, no, I think overall, it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling playing against your old friends, but um, I'm really enjoying my time at St Kilda at the moment. Talk us through the pre-season, Zane, um, with Max King un- unavailable for the first few weeks of the year. Tim Membry is currently injured. Um, you've really got a with the greatest of respect, it looks like a makeshift forward line that's working beautifully. How long has it taken for you to gel with your new, your new teammates and how's Ross Lyon been um, in that process? Um, yeah, it's sort of, we've sort of been thrust together um, <laughs> on the back of some pretty serious injuries to a few of our uh, key forwards. Um, oh, Ross has been super. He's, uh, he keeps everything quite simple, which is uh, very handy for us footballers. We don't Try not to think too much out of the field because a lot happens. Um, obviously, when you're fatigued, you want to make sure you've got some key points to look after while you're out in the field. So, no, he's been really good in that that aspect. But I think, yeah, a few of the younger boys are really starting to shine. Um, they've got they've got their opportunity with uh, a few injuries, and they're really taking it by the reins. Zane, well done on the win last night and your own performance kicking the two goals. Have you been played out of position for your entire career so far? <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I, like to, I like to consider myself as a role player, but, um, yeah, I sort of, well, luckily enough, I haven't been really affected with injuries throughout my career, so I've always been available. Um, and, yeah, I think they like playing me as that sort of ruck, second, oh, so second ruck forward role, because I'm there just to compete and sort of create a little scrap. Um, but... Yeah, I do see myself as a backman, but I'll do anything to get a game at the moment. Oh, and look, competing such a pivotal part of your role last night, you must be impressed. Some of the young players, and that's what you want to see as an older, with Philippou and also Owens, the three goals each, really impressive outcome for the team to get that sort of reward from them. Six goals from two younger players, pivotal to your result last night. Oh, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, the, the main thing that's, looking quite good for us at the moment is just our pressure and our effort, um, regardless of the score, regardless of what time on the clock is left, um, we're still giving that 100% effort. So that's one of the main teaching points from Ross is just we can't worry about results, but results will take care of themselves if we put in the work. And at the moment, we are putting in the work. Does he drive standards like no other coach? <laughs> Um, yeah, and and, and well, I don't yeah. mean that, and not comparing, but it just um, and each coach has his strengths and likes to approach it differently. But 
listening to Ross over the years, it appears that, as you said, keeps it simple and just over and over again, this is what we stand for and this is what you must do to play. Exactly right, yeah. He's pretty blunt with his honesty, <laughs> but I think um, I think that's what's needed. Um, you sort of, sort of as a footballer, you want to know where you stand um, and he's very honest in that aspect. But I think the other thing is, if you give him that 100% effort, he'll uh, look after you like no other man. He always looks after his players, stands for them if they're doing the right things. We're speaking to Zane Cordy from St Kilda. Zane, Mateus Filippo, I mean, last night, some really clutch goals. What have you seen in him? Because he was this young kid who probably slid a little bit in the draft, but still taken with pick 10. What are you seeing for him? And do you think he could be a generational player for the Saints? Um, yeah, he's just, he's a young guy that really loves his footy. Um, that was probably the first thing I noticed. He, um, he's super passionate about it, which is something you want to have at a football club. But I think he has got a bit of a, a hard edge to him. Um, he can get it quite aggressive, which is something you don't usually see in a young player. So uh, it's very exciting to see. And he's, um, he's extremely hard worker, which is something that Ross really likes. And as you can see, He's got a booming left foot, so it's uh, it's really working well for us. Well, whispers have it that he's Ross's new favourite pet. Any truth to that? <laughs> nah, Ross doesn't have any favourites. He uh, he sort of speaks to everyone at the moment. He's uh, he's definitely mulled out since his last coaching uh, stint. That's for sure. Um, I heard some stories of him before he actually came to the club. And I was like, well, this could be interesting. But, um, <laughs> uh, he's, uh, he's definitely mallowed out, but no, he hasn't got any favourites at the moment. I think he's just happy that we're performing the way we should be. What's the biggest difference between the Western Bulldogs as a footy club and St Kilda footy club, Zane? Um, like all footy clubs, they're pretty similar. Um, they've got a, definitely at St Kilda and definitely the Dogs. There's a lot of good people that work at the club whether that be an admin or as uh, volunteers. Um, I think the main difference for me is probably Saints has probably been starved of success for yep. a few years. So I think the main thing coming into this season is that we really want to become relevant. Um, I think when a few people said that we were a bit irrelevant, that really stung a few people. Um, and, yeah, I think the main that was our main driving factor is that we want to be part of the competition again. We want to be fighting for finals. Um, and we, we've had a good start, but it's still a long year. It's a long way to go. The big news story last week from a competition perspective was the bump. How do you get coached on it? Are you told not to bump, like Simon Goodwin suggested at Melbourne, or is there more wriggle room than that? Oh, there's definitely more wriggle room, um, especially with those two incidents where they did get uh, a couple of weeks. Is the, the problem is they left the ground. Um, if you keep yourself grounded and just look to protect yourself, um, you can be fine. But it's when you accelerate and then jump into the opposing player, that's where it can come a bit hairy. Because the bumps are going to be there. Whether it's called a bump or a shepherd, you still need to protect your teammates. Um, but, yeah, you just got to be a bit smarter about it these days. Is there any confusion from the playing group in what you can and can't do, Zane? Or is it crystal clear... And it all is quite obvious because at times there is discussion around the grey to it. Are players okay with the rules and understanding of them? 
Oh, I think so. It's it's pretty simple. We just avoid hitting someone in the head. Um, yeah. As soon as you get anywhere near that neck head area, you're most likely going to miss weeks. Um, and I, yeah, I think the main thing is, as the bump is, it's, it's meant to protect yourself. So as soon as you start flailing your arms out or try and hit people in the head, well, then you're in a lot of trouble. But I think I know, especially at the Saints, we've got a pretty good idea of what the rules are. And if you go outside those rules, you're going to get stung pretty hard. Zane, thank you for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time. Best of luck for the rest of this season. And best of luck for the upcoming game against Essendon on Saturday night at Marv- at the G, I should say. It's the 150 celebration for the Saints. So I'm sure you're hoping that lots of Sainers get along to support you. Yeah, we're hoping everyone comes out for a, a pretty big milestone in the club's history. Um, Hopefully a couple of wins might get them all a bit excited to come watch the footy. But um, I know the, the club's looking forward to it. Should be a great night. Thanks for joining us, Zane. No worries, guys. Have a good afternoon. Zane Cordy there. And as we head to the break, Sam Edmund chats some fantasy footy. Thanks, Sarah. Let's have a chat to Callum Stone, the founder of Game Day Squad. Create, coach, compete in fantasy footy. Now, a quick recap, I reckon. Uh, an explainer for those unaware, just for the people who have been living under a rock, what makes you different from the other fantasy brands around? Yeah, so Game Day Squad, we're different in a couple of big ways. First is that our players come in the form of digital trading cards. So unlike traditional fantasy sport platforms where you jump on and you can choose from anyone, in Game Day Squad, you've actually got to go out and find the player cards you want to actually play every week. And the other thing is we're a dynasty platform, which means all those cards you go and collect, we don't reset our platform at the end of the year. So those cards you get, you actually get for, for years to come. So who was the big scorer from round one? Luke Ryan. Shocked everyone from Frio. He had an awesome game off the halfback. Um, a couple of the Frio defenders scored quite highly. But, yeah, it was a bit of a shock. I don't know who'd be doing it again. But, yeah, he, I think he scored 187 points, which was huge. Now, set the record straight from here. So even though round two's obviously started, Callum, it's not too late, is it, to join the competition? No, definitely not. So we've got, we've got awesome weekly prizes um, at the moment. And we've also set it up in a way that anyone that joins after the start of round one We've set our competition, our seasonal competition up in a way that you can still jump on and still be competitive even if you miss the jump. So, yeah, definitely not too late. So if you had to try and pack one player this week, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who would it be? Oh, Andy Brayshaw. I think not only does Frio need to bounce back, I think Frio goes where he goes, and I reckon he's in for a big game. And like I said, we're a dynasty platform, so if you go out and you get an Andy Brayshaw card, you've got him in your team for the next 10 years. So he'll be good now and in the future as well. Solid investment indeed. Hey, thanks a lot, Callum. All good. Thanks, mate. That was brought to you by Game Day Squad. Create, coach, compete in fantasy footy. Be the coach and win. Play now. The award-winning crunch time for Azito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. We will get to Tom with some news shortly, but now it's Sam Edmund. He was joined by Josh Jeans for a double. Let's have a listen. It's time to say hey to the social bet with Dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Thanks, Sarah. Josh Jeans is with us. Josh, what's happening on the banter channels? Yeah. Hello, Sammy. Of course, we've got the live streams going pretty much every night now from Tuesday to Saturday. So you can jump on the app, obviously put your bets on, but get involved with uh, some of our streamers like Dane Swan, Jake Barker, Dace, as well as Owen Techies is on there. And, um, you know, get involved amongst the other punters. Well, very nice. Um, I want to ask you about 620 starts. Now, uh, this is a shock <laughs> to me, but some people have got a problem with it. So, 
you think it's a good idea having a 620 game, Sammy? I love a 620 Sunday. Feet up, on the couch, something to watch of a night time. I don't have to go along to them, uh, JJ, so I'm loving them. <laughs> Sammy, mate, it's rom-com Sunday. Everyone knows that. It's that you sit down with your missus or your loved ones and you watch a romantic comedy. There's no time for you at 620, especially oh. if it's like a nail-biter. And then how you get supposed to sleep after that adrenaline rush. Hang on, you, you, know? mentioned, com- the- you mentioned comedies. <laughs> Watching West Coast is a comedy, my friend. <laughs> Savvy, mate, that is hard. Last week we had one bad quarter. I admit there was a couple of bad players in that second quarter. But surely we bounce back this week. How many outs for the GWS Giants? Plenty. Hopefully we dominate the midfield. Tim Kelly says it starts with him. We get the ball moving forward. Oscar Allen is definitely going to kick a few this week as well. All right, so you got him in your multi, have you? Are you putting your money where your mouth is? That's it. I've got West Coast to the line. So I gave us a little buffer as well, just in case, at home, plus four and a half. Over 170 uh, points for the Essendon Bombers and Gold Coast Suns game. I think that'll be a scoring affair. And I think this one's will absolutely destroy Hawthorne. Uh, I've given them the uh, starting at minus 40 and a half. So they'll absolutely blitz that. All right. Well, I'm only going to go West Coast and agree with you because the Giants had heat stroke last week. And that is the only reason. Uh, And I'm going to take Jake Lloyd to have 25 plus. He's had 30 in four of his last six games against the Hawks. He just takes the P1 double five. And Archie Perkins to kick a goal against the Suns. That's it. Nice and tight and simple. And of course, you can download the Dabble app and copy those bets with one click. And hopefully we see all in the banter channels and during the live streams. Sammy Edmund, thank you so much. All right, Tom, there's lots of news to unpack. Let's go back to Friday night at the Gabba because there was so much to emanate out of that match. And Max Gorn, some fears have been allayed when it comes to that knee injury. What can you tell us? Well, Melbourne released a statement yesterday uh, confirming that Max Gorn had injured his knee, but it is a medial and therefore four to six weeks. And I don't think collectively Melbourne supporters have ever jumped for joy (laughs) higher than when they found out it was four to six weeks and not an ACL because that would have been a massive blow for the Melbourne footy club for this year and you know they couldn't rule out an ACL on the night but then the scans came back and it's he's just going to miss four to six which will give Brody Grundy an opportunity and maybe even Josh Shackey as well over the next month. Massive news, isn't it? Because well, it is. the D's structurally just look so much more sound with the Max flag. gone. They don't yeah. win the flag without him. Simple. If he missed all the year, uh, it would cost them wins at different times and just up against the other best teams because I think no doubt his leadership's outstanding. And then, as you said, structurally, that uh, you know to dominate the ruck, first use to Oliver Petrarca, slide forward, kick goals like he did last week. Yeah, it's a really important one for him to dodge and really good news for him. I mean, certainly very nervous having had ACLs previous. So those players know what it's like to go through. So it would have been a really nervous 24 hours. So good that it's um, far more... Uh, far less serious. Far less serious. I couldn't believe the amount of people trying to mind read Max Gorn looking we upset were in the were body language experts, weren't we? <laughs> None of us knew what he was thinking. And I think he would probably have a chuckle about it as well. The, the Melbourne Footy Club feared that it was an ACL, but they didn't know. And, um, and in the end, it's come back four to six weeks, medial, and, uh, and we can all move on. Now, of course, lights out at the Gabba. Bizarre scenes, absolutely bizarre scenes. Not for the first time, though, at the Gabba, Tom. We saw this at a BBL match a couple of, of years ago. I was there for that as well. Were you? Yeah, in 2019. It was the heat versus the thunder. You didn't pull the plug, did you? No, I didn't pull the plug <laughs> that night, no. I mean, it's, it's something that's uh, unique to the Gabba because of essentially how old the, the stadium is. And it's why they desperately need a an upgrade ahead of the 2032 Olympics, which are in Brisbane, and Greg Swan, the Brisbane CEO, was on uh, Jared Waitley's show during the week talking about 
that upgrade and the fact that the Brisbane Lions might be off the ground for three or four years. That's yeah. how significant mm. it's going to be. Um, so clearly it's not done in stages. It must be we're going to fl- They're fl- knocking it down. Yeah, they're knocking the starting entire Starting again, starting again. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what they're trying to get the funding for. I mean, initially, I think, uh, if I remember the conversation correctly with, with Greg Swan and Jared Waitley, it was valued at a, a billion dollars, and then they came back and said it was something like three and a half billion dollars. So sure. <laughs> they're fairly, fairly big margins, but it's, oh. a, um, it's a massive job. And, you know, in, in the end, what happened the other night was interesting for a few reasons. But number one, the AFL and, and, um, and, uh, and the AFL's, uh, uh, person who was on with SEN. Laura Kane yesterday. Laura Kane. Sorry, her her name escaped me. Laura Kane was on Crunch Time yesterday and she said essentially that the AFL has complete um, carte blanche over when a game can come back after a layoff. So we talk about half an hour, we talk about 60 minutes. There's, There's room for a grand final if something happens, the game is off for two hours and they come back on because the AFL has complete control over what goes on. Is there not a rule, though, that stipulates that it has to be within 60 minutes of an unplanned interruption? Yeah, or at the discretion of the match manager at the ground, which is just that important point for the AFL because you wouldn't want a grand final, which is one point the difference early in the third quarter, to be... 75 minutes away and the rule prevents That's right. So they do need need that. But there is the other point that this was a long layoff and Chris Fagan was on SEN yesterday morning talking about how uh, frustrating it was that the Brisbane Lions were not allowed to go and warm up on the ground when Melbourne was. And my understanding of the situation was that the AFL told Brisbane to wait in the rooms. It was very hot in the rooms in Brisbane a couple of nights ago. Um, Melbourne Football Club took it upon themselves to go out and warm up on the ground without sort of any approval or, um, or confirmation from the AFL. It wasn't until Danny Daly, the... Brisbane Lions head of footy went out onto the ground to check what was going on and saw Melbourne warming up that he went then downstairs and told his team to go out on the ground. And at that time, the AFL was telling the Brisbane Lions that Melbourne had to go back down into the room. So there was that confusion. That extra few minutes probably makes quite a big difference, according to Chris Fagan, into how prepared the team is to play when the game does restart. Issues with integrity. I mean, yeah. uh, the Lions had that game won and done. If anything, they would have extended that lead. And then we said the Jays come back and kick five unanswered goals and it was getting very close towards the end, Scotty. I don't think there's anything else you can do, though, is there? I mean, it changes the momentum. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, you would just like to tighten up, I think, in fairness to Brisbane and even Melbourne, the protocol around, okay, once we announce start time, you, can, you can't enter the field until 15 minutes before and do your warm-up. Mm. However it is, so it is even, Stephen. And then... Because both are faced with unforeseen conditions that you've got to adjust to. And now yeah. clearly Melbourne adjusted better or Brisbane took a bit longer to get going or, you know, probably had a big enough lead that they thought, well, the, the lead v the time left, they can't beat us. And you only need to be two or three yeah. um, percent off and that can change the dynamic of the game. Because in that comeback, the scores were so late from Melbourne that they were never really threatened Brisbane yeah, at true. the same time. And I was talking to the AFL this morning. The investigation's ongoing. We expect to hear the reasons why what happened happened in the next 24 to 48 hours, Sarah. That is the second edition of Sunday Crunch Time in the books. Coming up today, the Swans take on the Hawks. The Dons meet the Suns and it closes out with the Eagles and the Giants in the West. You can catch it all on AFL Nation.